Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Pittsburgh Current Editor and Publisher Charlie Deach. And we're here with you this week with um, a guest I've been wanting to get on for a long time because I'm a big fan of his of his work. I'm a big fan of his theater. Um, Patrick Jordan, the founder and artistic director of Bare Bones Production, an independent envelope-pushing theater company which started in 2003. Their new show is The Legend of Georgia McBride, which runs through March 9th. Patrick, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we, we see you a lot uh, on, in Bare Bones. We see, we see you a lot... Um, uh, on stage, but uh, for this production, you're you're stepping back. You're directing. Um, when 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 you make a yes, decision, yeah, when you, when you make a decision like that, what do you um when do you decide like sort of um where you should be on a certain production? Well, it depends on the play and the and the show that we end up choosing to do. Um, so this play um was an easy decision because there was no role for me at all, right? Um, as an actor, and um, I had a real specific vision of how I wanted the show to look. And I figured, um, it's a no brainer that I should direct this one. Um, and fortunately I was able to put together a, like a crackerjack group of performers to, uh, to be in this one, which is why it's being really, really well received right now. Yeah. Forgive, uh, give the, give our listeners a, a bit of the uh, thumbnail sketch about uh, the legend of George McBride. So the legend of George McBride, it takes place in uh, Panama city in the panhandle of Florida in kind of a dive town and uh, there's a character named Casey who is working as an Elvis impersonator to try to um, pay the bills and at a, at a dive bar. And the dive bar is about to go under. So the owner of the dive bar, played by David Conrad, cancels, um, fires Casey as an Elvis impersonator and brings in his cousin who has a drag act. Mm. And he's going to turn the bar into a drag club to try to save it from bankruptcy. So he gets fired. He ends up staying on as a bartender because people feel guilty because he's got a wife and, and a baby on the way at home. So he stays on as a bartender. And one night, one of the drag queens gets a little too intoxicated to go on stage. <laughs> and Casey steps in and the legend of Georgia McBride is born. That's great. What, what, what was it about the source material that really drew you to it when you decided uh... – um, to give it to give because I mean you look you well, guys first, yeah you I mean you guys push like I said you guys push the envelope I mean you're not afraid of any production we'll talk about some of the other stuff you you've done but but what was it about this that you right. said we got to do this well this one I mean like what um and I know we'll get into it later but each show we do I try to have the next play be totally bipolar from the last one yeah. I just kind of want to show that it, it can be a bare bones play and it doesn't matter the genre right so this one I mean I read it and I thought it was funny and I thought it had some heart. You know, that was my first, my first take on it. And then I waited a couple of weeks and then I read it again and I was like, wow, this play has a lot of heart. Right. And yeah, it, it deals in the world of drag and there's a lot of quips and there's a lot of jokes and there's a lot of, you know, inside theater jokes. There's common jokes. There's the drag numbers, which are epic. There's the <laughs> costume changes, which are epic. But at the end of the, at the end of the show, you kind of are left feeling good. And like with hope and there's so much negativity right now in the press. There's right. so much, everybody's kind of got a chip on their shoulder. And I, I felt like, you know, let's, let's lighten things up a little bit and go with like a, a more heartfelt message while still keeping it a bare bones show. And if you see it, you'll understand what right. I'm talking about. And you can read uh, Ted Hoover's review of um, the legend of George McBride on PittsburghCurrent.com. Um, he liked it a lot, as, as as a lot of people have. The reviews have been uh, 
the reviews have been good. Word of mouth has been has been great. Is is um, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, actually, we we added a date um, on Sunday, March the tenth, because the rest of the runs pretty much sold out. And I'm talking, and I might probably figure it out by noon today, but we might have to extend a week. That's great. No, that's great. Yes, we might we might run the show till the seventeenth. And and you guys have I mean you've, you've done you guys have done that in the past with some other shows. Um, kind of going, I mean taking that as a whole of sort of when you started bare bones, um, was there a point in, in, since you, since you began where you kind of said, or you, or you realize I'm, we're, we're onto something here. People want to see this type of work. Where well, was it in your well, sort of, yeah. I mean, I would say the, the big turning point happened in about 2005. Yeah. But, um, the first show we did was a play called bash by Neil LeBute. And we did this play because, um, we didn't think that there, we, we thought that there were a lot of playwrights out there that weren't getting produced in Pittsburgh because they were maybe pushing the envelope, like you said, a little right. too far, or maybe a little bit too edgy or a little too thought provoking. And people were kind of either afraid of it or they weren't doing it. There was a lot of classical works being done. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there was in a lot of more like, you know, situational comedies, stuff like that were happening, which are great, but there was like playwrights like, Neil LeBute, there were playwrights like Kenneth Lonergan, there were playwrights like Tracy Letts, uh, Stephen Adley Geargis that weren't getting produced in Pittsburgh for some reason. And I think it was because, you know, there was a stigma of either language or content or anything like that. So we were going to do one show and it was going to be like one and done. Mm -hmm. One of the names for the theater when we were passing it around was going to be like shot in the arm theater. <laughs> we were just going to do like one show and be finished. So we did the first show underneath um, the old Forward Lanes bowling alley right. in the storage room behind uh, in, in the storage room of a vintage clothing shop called Backward on Forward. <laughs> and you could hear the bowling balls rolling overhead. <laughs> we used basically the set was my living room, including my lamps. We had no theater lights. <laughs> and we thought we were going to get, you know, maybe 10 or 15 people a night would be awesome. We were getting 80 wow. crammed into there. So we did that for a couple of weeks and then that was going to be it. And then. You know, we thought other theater companies are going to start doing these plays. They didn't. So then we did a Kenneth Lonergan play called This Is Our Youth. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, we, you know, had a different band play every night. We commissioned an artist to have art in the lobby. And, you know, I would, I would buy a keg of beer every night and just give it away. Right. So that was, that was our second show. And then we did a couple more shows. And then when we did a show called Frozen um, by Bronnie Lavery, we did it at... Um, Engine House 25, which is now uh, the Roberto Clemente Museum. Yeah. Um, and we had an actress, two actresses, um, Helena Rawadi and Susan McGregor Lane joined the cast, and I was in the cast as well. And uh, Melissa Martin directed it. And it kind of, having those two actresses kind of catapulted us into legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And more and more people started kind of coming and seeing what was going on. And then it was another play, another play, another play. And then we started, you know, we were bouncing around to different bars, um, clubs. <clears throat> we did a show at the upstage right after it closed, like the day after it closed, mm -hmm. um, before it became a, a, an Aldi or whatever right. um, grocery store it is yeah. now. So we, we did all that. And then we started a residency at the New Hazlet Theater, and we were there for about seven years. And we did a, a number of productions there. And then we, you know, jumped to Braddock for a couple, went back to the Hazlet, and then um, we ended up uh, doing a show at the Ace Hotel, that wrestling play, Chad Deity, right. that we had talked about earlier. And um, now we've just been uh, 
at our theater in Braddock ever since. Do you think that uh, when you guys started and then as you started getting more and more people, do you think you were creating a new theater audience or do you think you were beginning to draw, um, draw from the traditional Pittsburgh theater audience? I think it was a mix. Uh, I think it ended up being a mix. Um, when we started doing it, we thought we were creating something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, there were there was a theater audience that was hungry for what we were doing as well right. already. And, you know, for a while there, we had, you know, one of the younger audience bases um, coming to see our shows. Now, that would that you know, that could be from content that could be from like the fact that we were having different bands. We was like a punk rock theater kind of a vibe as we were getting going. So it was, we had a nice cross section of people and that kind of continues to this day. Yeah. And you've, so really, I think yeah. it's, I think it's, I think it's somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've also, I mean, you have, you've had, um, you've had, you've had some great, great talents also come on your stage. Um, you talk about David Conrad doing this play. Um, Bingo O'Malley has done some work for you. That's just, um, that yeah. You, Bingo worked with us on four different shows. Bingo actually, um, in my, you know, in my opinion, uh, he, he basically made us, um, you know, he added a lot of legitimacy to it. I mean, Bingo's as much a part of this theater company as I am. Right. And I and, mean, he, he's been my mentor through the whole thing. That's great. And, and what kind what kind and what, in what kind of ways was it, was it in, was it in play selection? Was it in sort of, I mean, cause well, no, I mean, Bingo, Bingo actually, he's been around for a long um, time. well, Bingo's been around, but I mean, he's like, we actually named our, our stage right. after him and Braddock. Right. So, um, yeah. So it's the Bingo O'Malley stage at the bare bones black box. And, um, so Bingo uh, was a good friend of mine. Um, I was, you know, lucky enough to call him a friend. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he and I would talk about theater. We talk about everything, but we would talk about theater and um, plays and stuff. And I would, th- I would give him the plays to read, and we would talk about them. And so play selection, he was there for. But he also, you know, I kind of learned a lot from not so much the producing end, but right. partially the producing end. From Bingo, just from being in plays with him at yeah. other theater companies, I kind of learned by watching him and at his, you know, at his routine, how he treated people, how he, you know, came in his work ethic, and and that's what I've taken with me. And I mean, Bingo, Bingo was there opening night for this show, and I still talk to him all the time. He he's still still giving me as much advice as ever. That's great. And, and the one th- I I wanted to segue that into, um, and I think sort of the the one at least in my mind was the most memorable thing that. Um, that that you did with Bingo was the last time you guys did Glenn Gary Glenn Ross with uh, Bingo, oh, yeah. Bingo played Shelley Levine and um, wow man Shelley Levine is probably one of my favorite characters uh, from the movie from the play whatever Shelley Levine is one of my favorite characters and I obviously I owe part of that to, to Jet the way Jack Lemon played it but um, you know right. when I saw Bingo played but, it was but what was what was great was what was great about Bingo is it was totally different from yeah. Jack Lemon but it yep. was still perfect for the for the role right. I mean, he was so good. I mean, that was just a that was just a privilege to to be there with him on that show because he was he was thinking about he didn't want to do it, and then all of a sudden he just said, "All right, I'm in." Wow! And we just basically we threw the team together and um, put that show on. Yeah, it's a that's that's a great one. That's I have a I have a picture from it hanging in my house. That's amazing. And and you played and one thing I want to talk to you about a little bit was so you play you played Roma, you played Ricky Roma, the same role that Al Pacino right. played in the film, and you know it's been right. there, Joe Montana played Ricky Roma, uh, you know, on the stage. So when you when you're coming Correct. into a role like that that's had these you know these very notable performances, how do you sort of do you do you ignore that? Do you do you watch those things? Do you ignore it a little bit to develop your own character? Well, I mean, well, I, I try not to watch those, yeah. those things, but I mean, obviously, I had seen Glenn Gary sure. Glenn Ross, sure. I'd seen the movie, and I'd been reading the play since I started acting. 
Um, so it was all, it was already in there. Actually, like the night I met Bingo, we talked about Glengarry. Glenn That's Ross. amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, going, going after those roles, it's, it's, you gotta make it your own. Otherwise you're just doing, you know, you're just, uh, you're just a, you know, doing a caricature of somebody else. Right. So you gotta make it real. Like when I did Roma, I kind of made them a little bit more Chicago, mm-hmm. which was, um, probably, probably more along the lines of the Montana than the Pacino. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I kind of went, kind of went my own way, <clears throat> um, with that. But I mean, if it's a good enough play, you know what I mean? The, the words take you there. You know what I mean? Like, so you don't have to, don't have to worry about it. So I don't think, I mean, plus the fact that Al Pacino is so Al Pacino that literally if you do like one Al Pacinoism, right. everybody's going to think, Oh, he's doing Al Pacino. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Better not say who are for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like who, like I could, I mean, I almost quoted the show, but like, it's yeah. like this, I don't know what I can say on the podcast. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. You're fine. Well, no, it's just like, like, it's just, it's like, I, I, anyway, the line I was going to say is probably no good. Never yeah. mind. Well, no, I, well, that's what but, I was thinking too. Yeah. But it's, yeah, he does. There are those moments where, you know, there, and, and again, the, the language of that show I'm sure is something, and I know when the, you know, when, when it, when the play first came out, uh, I, when the stage production, I actually out, saw, like, I think it was 84, 83. Yeah. I actually saw Al Pacino play Levine on Broadway. Wow. Uh, you know, a few years after our production and uh, B- bingo was way better. <laughs> 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 yeah, he doesn't really. He doesn't really seem like he would. He would fit the the Levine role. But that's it. So that's another uh, kind of along the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but then also general. Um, do you see yourself as? And I, I, that's that's what. So that's what I was going to bring up is the fact that that um, you know Pacino played um, Pacino played Roma, then he played Shelley Levine, and I think mm-hmm. Bingo played. When Bingo had done this before, was he was he Levine before or he played? He was Levine before. Yeah. Um, but the, Bingo's pretty yeah. much Dorian Gray. He stopped right. aging about 30 <laughs> right. years ago. He just right. froze in time to where he was in 1987 and hasn't changed. That's great. Yeah. But do, do you sort of, as you see, as you, um, as you grow older, you know, um, do you kind of see, mm-hmm. uh, sort of, you know, you know, you had a great, a great role in Ricky Rumble, but do you look forward to the times when you can then maybe do, do this play 15 years from now, 20 years from now, and you can take on another role. Maybe, um, is that, is that something? Oh that man, you-, you know what? I, I, you know what? I haven't given it that much thought. Yeah. I kind of have like my tunnel vision kind of goes <laughs> right. to the next show. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's something to think about. That's kind of crazy. I guess I am getting, I guess I'm getting up there. Well, I don't mean to say that you're ready to play Jack. No, Lemon no, roles, no, but- <laughs> no, you're saying I'm old. That's, you're saying I'm old. I'm, I'm, I'm grandpa. I'm, I'm grandpa smirk here. So that's what, <laughs> That's fine. I I I, I, well, I was feeling good when I woke up this morning. Oh, was, well, we 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 aim to make people feel miserable around here. That's our whole. That's, that's our that's whole apparently that's thing. that's that's the word. <laughs> so when when you when you were growing up, Patrick, um, how did you get into? Were you were you a fan of the stage from an early age, or were you were you more of a film fan? Well, here's you, the thing. Here, here, well, here's the thing. Um, all of the above. Okay, so when uh, I I grew up, my mother had put me into little acting things and stuff. And from a young enough age that I figured that's what everyone did, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Um, and then I, you know, I went into sports and stuff like that. I played football, I, you know, different different sports and stuff through school. But in the summer, I would do this um, thing called a musical theater arts camp that Mario Melodia ran at mm-hmm. the time. And that was um, that was, oh, I guess I don't know, from like fourth grade through tenth grade or ninth grade, which is funny because I actually met my wife there. Oh really? Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in uh, musical theater together when we were little kids. Amazing. So I had done that, and I kind of did the theater stuff during the summertime, 
And then uh, there was a thing called the Attic Workshop that was in uh, in Swickley, the town that Pan Greg, Greg ran. So I did that kind of stuff at the same time when I was, you know, playing baseball and whatever other normal sports. It was just kind of like part of the curriculum. Then when I hit high school, I didn't, I was like, you know, playing football and kind of thinking I was going to do that for a career, which was a ridiculous <laughs> thought on my part. But um, yeah, and so that the people that I was doing the theater with didn't really know I did football and the people I was playing football with didn't know I did theater, not because of what I was keeping it from them. It was just like a surprise when they right. came to the show and they were like, hey, there's Patrick. <laughs> kind of a thing. But um, I never thought it was going to be a career or what I was going to end up doing until my freshman year of college. I was at Edinburgh at the time, mm. um, Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and um, in, you know, around Erie. And um, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was going there to play football. I was injured too much, so I didn't end up playing. And um, a girl I was friends with at the time filled out my schedule, put me in an acting class, <laughs> I excelled in the acting class and I kind of got the bug, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I, you know, picked up, transferred down to Pitt, uh, got some agency representation and went to it. Now that said, I'm like, yeah, that was the theater side and that was a long way around getting to it. But like, I love movies. I watched movies a million times when I was a kid. I can still quote, you know, anything that was on, you know, HBO <laughs> from, from, from like the time I was like four years old till I was 12. Right. Big, big Sylvester Stallone fan at that time. Yeah, I think like you know, I I think that that those movies are like for movie fans. Like obviously, we love, we love to watch great movies, but you love to watch those movies that are just so quotable and they're just so you know. Oh, I mean that's it. I mean that was. I mean I, yeah. I'm. I mean I've 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 kind of fallen off the last fifteen. I kind of I kind of stopped with the quoting after uh, Face Off. Wow, congratulations! It's hard to I do. Think Face Off. I think Face Off was my last quoted quotable movie. <laughs> I think because when we had because because face off what ended up happening was I had gotten one of those uh, cheater boxes. Yeah. You know, like back in the day, you could get the cheater boxes and it was like pay-per-view movies oh. at home were just happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I got a cheater box from a friend and it was just face off on a loop nonstop, <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. So you could be watching like a game and then you would just like flip over and watch 10 seconds of face off. <laughs> so I've got it quoted pretty much down. And then before that, I mean, like, you know, the Godfather movies, the Rocky yeah. movies, all that kind of stuff. Like, my mom took me to see Cobra at the Cheswick Theater when I was nine. <laughs> wow. What was, what was the line? What was the big line? There's a line from Cobra right from the beginning. Oh, I forget what it was. You're a disease and I'm the cure. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the one. That's the one. It's weird yeah. the thing to this thing to stick in your head. And I saw I saw that you were a fan well, of, of, of Roadhouse. And, but my Patrick, oh, Swayze, yeah, Roadhouse my Patrick Swayze line, for some reason... It's from the movie Next of Kin when he goes and he says, I believe in the hereafter and you know what I'm here after. I forget who played his wife, but it was one of those things. Yeah. And it's weird. Like, I don't know who's seen Next of Kin more than once. Except and that for me, sticks but. with you. My, my favorite line from Roadhouse was probably, well, other than everything Sam Elliott says, yeah, but my right. favorite thing from Road, Roadhouse was probably um, when the one guy goes, well, he's like, everyone should be nice. And then he goes, well, what if she calls my mama a whore? Goes, <laughs> is she? Is she? <laughs> He goes, is she? And I was just like, I was like, this movie is so cheesy. It's right. so great. Yeah. No. Yeah. The- that movie, that movie, that is a classic piece of American cinema. And I will go to the mattresses for that. <laughs> Funny, going back to Bingo, the first night I met Bingo, he and I got in an argument about me saying Roadhouse was a fantastic movie. <laughs> That's great. No, it is. Because we were talking, we were, right. we were talking about like Fellini, The Godfather, all these different right. like, great art movies and stuff like that. And all these different foreign films that we love. And I was like, but I got to be honest. 
I think Roadhouse is a classic, and I think Sylvester Stallone's an American genius. <laughs> and it was just like, like the record scratched. You almost ended a friendship but, but right yeah. there on the spot when you start defending yeah, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, I did it before it started, but I'm like, I'm serious. I think Stallone's <laughs> a genius. I'm, I, it's just me, though. Yeah, but that's just the time. The but time yeah. that you know, the time you're talking about, the time you know that that you at least put that, that we grew up in. It was like it was like this great, um, just these great movies that really didn't care necessarily about plot or, or it was just yeah. just great lines, of fun, a lot of action. It was just, I mean, those are the kind of things that, that again that I grew up on. The like, I met, I met, I met, I met Tony Scott. And, oh, yeah. um, um, well, obviously when he's still living mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I just talked to him about the last boy scout for like five minutes. I totally geeked out on him. He was like, he was like, really? And I'm like, so I talked about the last boy scout for like five minutes and he was like, so do you want to audition? Cause I went to audition for, I auditioned for him for a movie yeah. and I literally just was like a two year old. I was like, I was like, so, so, so when the last boy scout, uh, so, so when you, was was Bruce Willis, was, 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 was Damon Wayans really like, <laughs> No, that's again. Yeah. That's another one. It just I, I I couldn't tell you five lines, but I can oh tell you when he, like, when, when he says uh, when he says Heather. Gar- like, how how many fingers on yeah. your scale was my wife when he, he talks to? Uh, oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a good one. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that, like if you, I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. No, but please, listen. Bruce Bruce Willis does not utter a line in that movie that's not quotable. <laughs> right. <laughs> header gut there's so many good ones in there yeah like literally he doesn't say anything yeah it's not like he throws he throws ice cream out the door and he comes back and he says you know how i hate to waste food it's (laughs) just it's just the whole the whole movie anyway no i'm getting getting off i'm sure there's more questions here listen there are but listen i I got i could have us ask a thousand about 80s movies too they're just they're they're the best um (laughs) so um so where where do you where, where are you guys going next where 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 do you think uh bare bones is um is, is headed for the next performance. Do you, do you have something mapped out or a couple of ideas or, uh, we got a, we got a, we got a couple of things. I just want to, um, see, we haven't, you know, we're kind of flirting with doing a different kind of model than doing like a full mm-hmm. season up front. I kind of, um, we've got, we've been really fortunate with really great actors to work with us, yeah. both local and national actors, um, since we started. And I think part of that is because, we've got some flexibility and availability and yeah. now what's helpful for us is we've got our own theater space and it's there. Right. Right. So like if, um, you know, when we get off the phone here, I'm going to have to have a phone call to see if we're going to extend or not, but we have the option to extend. Right. When we were doing shows at the new Hazel theater, now the new Hazel theater is still my favorite theater in the city of Pittsburgh. Right. Um, I just love the history. I love the structure. I love everything about it. Um, but we would do a show for three weeks. And our third week, we're, we're, we're cramming them up in the rafters and there's no, there's no other place to put people. We're adding rows of seats on the ground, but we can't extend, you know, because they've got something else booked in there right after us. So what's cool is now, I mean, right now we've gone from three-week runs to four-week runs. And then maybe this George McBride, maybe it'll be a, a, a fifth-week run. So, so, that's, so that's helpful for us um, as well. But I've got a couple of shows that I want to do. Um, but I'm at the behest of certain actors' schedules that I want to work with. Um, sometimes the plays, the performance rights, sometimes they come and go. So um, things kind of move around a little bit. When would but yeah, we but, should have we should have something else coming probably by May. That's great. Um, when so this, this, when you guys moved into your theater, were you were you actively looking for a space at that time, or was it was it? A I've been of actively looking for. Yeah. A, I've been actively looking for a space since 2005. <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, but it ended up working out because, um, 
Uh, John Fetterman, mm-hmm. lieutenant governor, was the mayor of uh, Braddock at the time. And he's you know, one of my best friends. Yeah. And, you know, we had always been talking. He had talked to me about doing a show down in Braddock and blah, 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 blah. So I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll figure out a way to do it. And then he called me one day and was asking about, you know, do I know anybody that could open up a restaurant in town? And I said, well, Kevin Sousa. He said, I was thinking of Kevin Sousa. So I went and talked to Kevin and brought Kevin down to Braddock to meet John and see the town. And, you know, next thing you know, Kevin's putting his restaurant there. So the restaurant went through a couple incarnations and we were there at the current Superior Motors and John, Kevin and I were walking around and there was this dead space in the back that they didn't have any use for. And I said, well, you got a high enough ceiling. You could probably put a little theater back here. Right. And they both looked at me and I went, oh, shit, yeah, I should put a theater here. <laughs> yeah, wish I so knew I somebody, like, right? Let's, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do it. So, um, and that's, that's how it happened. And we did our first two shows there before the restaurant was open, you know, before the restaurant had walls. Right. Wow. Um, and it was cool because um, Kevin on Friday and Saturday nights did a um, – like uh, he would make small plates and I'd, I'd buy some wine and cheese and stuff and we'd give it out up in Fetterman's house upstairs. <laughs> right. Um, and so at the Fetterman place, so so people could go and get a taste for what was coming. Then um, when the restaurant went into construction, there was no way we could do shows there. I mean, there were no walls and everything like that. So we, um, uh, we went back to the New Hazlet for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. And then we went to the Ace Hotel for Chad Deity. And we've been at, um, I think this is our fifth show in Braddock since. And, and uh, interesting. You brought up those two plays. Cause that's why I wanted to, I wanted to kind of ask you about. Um, so when, when, when you're, when you're looking for work, I mean, are you look or looking for a work rather not looking for work, but you're looking for a work. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, are you drawn, are you drawn more to, to something that people haven't maybe haven't seen like Chad Deedy or are there plays like Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. like Streetcar, like Glengarry Glen Ross that, um, still so, fit in the mold of what you're funny, trying to do. Well, it's funny that you mentioned those three. Those are the three that had been produced in Pittsburgh before that we had done. Everything else we had done, the other 24, 25 plays, had been local premieres. Right. Most of them playwright premieres, or we would do a, that playwright a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just what people haven't seen before, but what people maybe maybe have never seen or haven't seen lately. Right. Like, okay, Streetcar Named Desire is a classic. It's one of the greatest uh, American plays ever mm-hmm. written. Maybe sure. the greatest, one of the greatest plays ever written to me. Tennessee Williams, Sam Shepard, these, these, these are my big playwrights. Right. Um, and it hadn't been produced in like 20 years. Same thing with, with Glengarry Glen Ross. Now, what ends up happening is nobody knew the story of Streetcar that came to see it, right? They right. just thought, Marlon Brando in a t-shirt. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and when you get there, you're like, oh, this is Blanche Dubois show. Right. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's Blanche Dubois show. That's what it is. So it kind of took a lot of people by surprise because you only just see like the clip. And it appears as though we have lost Patrick for the moment. We will get him back. Um, but let me try and fill. Let's see. Let's see how I am at that. Um, new issue of the Pittsburgh Current. Well, first of all, this is the Pittsburgh Current podcast. It is about that time. Um, the business is the Pittsburgh Current podcast. Um, you can check out all of our daily coverage at pittsburghcurrent.com. And you can check out Patrick Jordan, what they're up to at barebonesproductions.com. <laughs> and he is I'm back. back. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. So you know the website already. You don't have to worry about that. Um, so I'm not sure uh, where were we were. Um, oh, so you're talking about... Um, Again, putting putting the car. We're good. Okay. Hello? I'm sorry. No. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I, 
<laughs> we got a little confused there. Um, so, so, so when you're doing something that's, that's, that's known, um, it's probably people don't really necessarily know, um, know the story or know how, because again, a movie is, is quite different a lot of times from the original written work. Well, exactly. Well, two things, um, um, two points on that. Um, one on, um, once Flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Totally different. The chief talks right in the play. He's the narrator. Um, uh, Glenn Jerry, Glenn Ross, the, everyone's like, Hey, where was the Alec Baldwin part? <laughs> Right. That's in the movie. That's not in the yeah. play. It's actually, it's actually better without it. Right. Um, another thing, I actually had a critic call me after Glengarry, and they were like, hey, did, did Bingo O'Malley drop some lines? I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> Bingo O'Malley, first of all, doesn't drop lines. Right. But wh- what do you mean? He was like, because I remember the play had more about Shelley Levine's daughter. Right. And I said, no, that's the movie. Right. That's not the play. The play keeps it vague, and, right. and I feel like that's better. And that's the difference between stage and film. So anyway, enough about that. Um, but yeah, the, the plays we have done had been done here before were, were those three, and there had been a 20-year gap. And I thought the timeliness of it. So when we did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the financial crisis had just hit. Right. So I thought like, okay, greed, boom, there's the story yeah. without hitting you over the head with it. I mean, Streetcar had been so long since it had been done here. And, um, you know, I had the cast, you know, I had Cammy Dixon and Jeff Carpenter, you know what I mean? So, and then the supporting cast was great. And then, you know, throw in Joe Grishecki and John Gresh. Right. I mean, as, as musical accompaniment, that was, it was a no brainer. Um, when well, you, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Good, good. Yes, but, that was good. But uh, it, it was basically... The, the play still has to resonate. Right. I'm not going to do an old show just to do an old show. Like I'm not going to, you're not going to see us do our town. Right. <laughs> um, not that, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But it's, it's not your, but, yeah. but that's, that's, that's not us. When you look back at the stuff that you've done, um, what are, what are some of your favorite roles for yourself? And then what, what are, what are a couple of your favorite, uh, your favorite plays that you've done that you're, you're really, really proud of. Well, I mean, I'm proud of all of the plays sure. that we've done with Bare Bones. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. I was I had a conversation with this a couple of days ago with somebody, but it's it's like it's like they're all my kids. You right. know what I mean? I right. love them all for their own reasons, and I can't. It's hard to choose one or the other. I mean, the the plays that I did with with Bing, like the Glenn Gary special um, when we did the Gray Zone, that was very special. Um, I mean, my favorite role that I played. I mean, I've loved them all but i think um jackie and motherfucker with the hat yeah might be might be the favorite role that i played like um uh, i mean the, there's some of the plays that i wish i could have seen uh like when we did uh, chad deity i directed it right but i wasn't I, I had to be in it because you know one of the actors dropped out right before we started rehearsal so i ended up just stepping in and playing the part wow um but um yeah it was a it was a WWE guy too, but anyway, um, uh, that's a side note. But um, yeah, so I I don't know. I mean, I mean, they all have different reasons. Like like when we did Take Me Out, I thought that was an epic play um, because I love the story. I couldn't believe no one else had done it before. But Doug McDermott, our technical director, figured out a way to run shower water into a storefront um, uh, that had no water. Like, wow. you know what I mean? It was just like, it was, it was like a banquet room. It was called Navarra. It was attached to the old bossa Nova and it was an empty room. And the owner of that place, uh, Robin Fernandez, um, 
literally thought we were just going to put some chairs in a circle and put on a show. He left for a weekend, came back, and we had like a full set built, raked stage, running water, showers. He was like, what the hell did you guys do? <laughs> but yeah, so it's like th- those things are epic and those were b- pretty much large steps forward for the company. Um, the first show we did in Braddock as a special place, American Falls. I just love that cast. It was so yeah. great. And we literally just put up some curtains. There were no walls in that warehouse. There was no heating. Uh, there was no air conditioning, obviously. And there was very like, as like you would have more electricity in your house right now Wow! that we ran the show <laughs> off of, um, our lighting designer, Andy Ostrowski is kind of a genius. Is there a dream show for you or something that you really, really want to do? Oh man, I don't know. Um, all of them. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been really fortunate. Yeah. A lot of my dream shows have happened. Right. Um, uh, you know, like Streetcar was a dream. Glenn Gary was a dream. Um, Bug and Killer Joe were dreams. I mean, I, it was just a dream to me to produce Killer Joe, like right. the Tracy Let's Play. Uh, that one also had uh, Joe Grishecki as well um, doing musical accompaniment. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the my dream show is probably the next show. And right. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> That's great. It's, it's, it's the next one I work on. Um, yeah. Still waiting for the dream to be realized. That's good. That, that's good. That means you're always you're always striving, always shooting for. Uh, yeah, yeah. For there's something. no uh, there's no stopping. And we are talking to Patrick Jordan of Bare Bones Productions, and um, as we, um, you can check them out at barebonesproductions.com. You can check us out at pittsburghcurrent.com. Um, as we wrap up here, um, Patrick, thanks for talking about the theater company, and and I, I want to change gears a little bit. Um, uh, Patrick and I ha- uh, had a friend in common, um, and a lot of you probably uh, know uh, know about Jimmy's know who Jimmy Svetik is. Um, Jimmy Svetik is uh, <laughs> Jimmy Svetik was Jimmy. Jimmy passed away a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and Jimmy was um, Jimmy was a Jimmy. I, I don't I don't think I know a better person on this earth uh, than Jimmy Svetik was. He was um, he worked with kids. He was a poet. He was a police officer. He was a fighter. He was a fight trainer. I mean. He was, he's absolutely, I've called him a Renaissance man for years and that's absolutely what he is. Um, and Jimmy lost a, a battle with cancer. Um, like I said, just a few weeks ago and, um, Jimmy, I've known Jimmy for probably close to 20 years and, um, really a lot in the past four years or so we, 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 I think we grew closer. Um, he would come up and hang out at our office, um, and one thing um, I will say that uh, Jimmy was a very generous guy. And one thing that um, Jimmy was always collecting money or toys for his the Police Athletic League uh, toy drive at Christmas. Um, and I'll say this is Jimmy was never afraid to ask, um, ask for anything. And um, but one thing I'd never seen Jimmy do aside from pick up a lunch tab or something. J- Jimmy was never a guy who uh, Jimmy was never a guy who was writing checks. He was he was the guy taking these checks and spending it on the kids. But when we first opened, Jimmy came in and um, we talked and Jimmy knew, uh, you know, it was kind of a hard time uh, of what went down. And um, Jimmy pulled out his checkbook and um, he gave us a donation so we could buy some street boxes so we could uh, get our product out on the street. And I'll, uh, I mean, there's a tons of things I'll never forget about Jimmy, but that that's mm. that's one of them. And um, I haven't really been I haven't really talked about it much since it happened. And um, so with you coming on, I thought you knew Jimmy as well. And I thought maybe we could uh, we could talk a little yeah, bit about Jimmy, lo- about what I'd he means to you. Jimmy's, um, Jimmy, I mean, you, you, I mean, I, I, I made a really long post and stuff about this, yeah. but you know, to, to call him a legend, uh, is, is 
just putting it lightly. Yeah. It almost cheapens the term because yeah. he's um, he was uh, he was one in a million. I mean, he's one in ten million. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just uh, there was there was nobody like him, and I've been around a while. Um, yeah, when Jimmy and I met, uh, we we hit it off right away. And you talk about Jimmy not being afraid to ask for stuff. I mean, he like there were days that there'd be fifteen messages on my phone. From him. <laughs> like he would just call me and keep Jim. calling, calling, kid, we got to do this. But um, yeah, the um, Jimmy and I um, kind of bonded over fighting, over yeah. boxing, uh, right out, right when we met. And then you know, I told him I was an actor, and he said that you know he told me about Warrior and Nick Nolte and all this other stuff, and that was all well and good. But then he started talking about his poetry, and um, I kind of read his poetry, and we went crazy for it. And then yeah. he became like a family member. Yeah. I mean, after that point, I mean, we would talk on the phone several times a day. We'd get lunches constantly. I mean, he had me running all over the city. Like, like I'd be like, dude, I'm really, I'm really busy. He's like, oh, just come with me. We're going to pick up a ring. We're going to take it up to my gym in the Hill District, and then I'll take you home. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Okay, Jimmy, let's just do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like yeah. there's no way you, could, you can't, you couldn't say no to him. Yeah. Um, and, if, and if you tried, he, he'd keep going at it until you didn't. Um, his poetry is amazing. We did his poetry readings um, several times, probably maybe 20 or 30 times around the city. Um from what he did over at Hemingway's to um, large scale things that we did at larger theaters. Um, I ended up connecting him with a tack theater and they based a dance show on right. one on uh, some of his poems. Um, I mean, but everything was always for the kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? He would, um, there was no greed in him. He just literally wanted to take care of everybody. And at one point, I mean, I think he had like 16 or 17 boxing gyms going right. and to walk around with Jimmy, um, it would be like he, um, like wherever you went, he knew people. Yeah. Right. And it didn't matter if we were at a gym in the Hill District, if we were walking, to, if we were going to do a poetry reading in Homewood or whatever, he'd run into five people and then boom, 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 boom. He'd connect the dots. He remembered all of his cases. He had total recall. Mm -hmm. So when he was a cop, and then when he was when he was doing narcotics undercover, those stories. Yeah. I mean, it's you know Hollywood should be. <laughs> be beaten down, beaten down the door for that. Yeah, and and that's but, yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, no. But Jimmy like was one of the first people at my house when I brought my daughter home. Oh. You know, he was. Um, yeah, he was just um, just great guy, hysterical, told the funniest jokes, and um, he was all heart. Yeah. And it, what was crazy was, you know, his heart wasn't working for him. Right. You know, he, he'd be he'd be like, my heart's working at four percent. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Slow down. Like this last Christmas. You know, I, I talked to him, he sounded tired for the first time. Mm -hmm. I was like, what's up? And he's like, wait, we did close to 10,000 gifts for the kids and blah, blah, blah. I said, you don't have to do it all yourself, Jimmy. <laughs> right. You know, but he, but he felt the need, man. He was constantly, constant state of motion. It's, it's going to be a big loss. Yeah. You know, I can't, I still can't imagine a world without him in it. He's yeah. bigger than life kind of character. Yeah. And Jimmy was, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy had been battling, I mean, various health ailments but then you know the cancer for 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 a while and it gets to the point he always rallied yeah exactly it, it gets to the point that, that you're sure that this is it and maybe you've spoken to him for the last time and then he's you know he bounced back this is just a, a couple of months ago and then he just he just bounced, well, bounced yeah, back was, in the office fortunately i was able i was able to visit him in the hospital um when he got moved to hospice we were in a 10 out of 12 days of rehearsal for the show so we, we had like an hour and a half dinner break so i just left um, and left and ran to just spend a little bit of time with him in the hospital the day before he passed. And, um, I mean, he was in there, he was, <laughs> he was talking about setting up boxing shows hmm. 
And then, then, then he looked at me and he said, you know what, you're going to work on this. We're going to do a tribute in about four weeks after I die, four weeks, wow. you'll do a tribute. You bring, bring the, bring the, bring the secret society of dog to the masses. I went, all right, buddy, you got it. Yeah. You know, it was, he's, uh, yeah, man. I mean, just the, the, the net that he threw, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll see, I mean, people from all walks of life. I yeah. Mean, Antoine Fuqua loves him. Uh, Nick Nolte obviously loves him. Gavin O'Connor. Um, just, he was just out with Gavin O'Connor a couple months ago. Uh, it went to New York. They do all kinds of tribute nights for him and everything. Um, just everybody that came across him, the film community calls him Jimmy Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, and if anything, you know, there, so. there are people who, I mean, everybody, I think everybody knows who he is, but there, I mean, there are a lot of people that, that had, I'm sure what they will classify as like a close relationship with Jimmy. And he did had that with so many people and he's just how he had time to do it all was just, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, so he understood yeah. something that a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he knew what was important and he kept things moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was in a million places and his wife, Gloria, amazing too. She's picking up the slack and she's, you know, she just, she just contacted me the other day to do ring announcements. I couldn't do it. So I have a friend doing ring announcements for one of her golden glove fights coming up this Saturday. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I, um, I, uh, I realized, you know, things have been, you know, things get hectic and you get a lot of, I didn't notice. I, I actually missed a call from Jimmy, <laughs> um, probably a, a week or so before he died. And, uh, I didn't realize, I didn't even see it probably, until, until after he, until after he passed. And, uh, that's a, a regret. He was, just letting, he was probably just letting you know. Yeah. It was a regret of mine that I, that I didn't see the call and that I didn't get uh, to That's his, okay, man. But he gets time. it. We're talking about him right now and he would love yeah. that shit. Yeah, he would. <laughs> he would. You know, you know, it'd be great. And, uh, like I said, there's going to be an event coming. I don't know the details yeah, yet, well, but it might be on, I think, I believe the 19th of okay. March. And we will bring um, you the details I'll, I'll, for that when it's, uh, when it, when it's announced. Yeah, sure I would, I would, I would, I would, I would hope so. I know Rick Bach, uh, the artist is going to be doing yeah. some stuff and we're going to try to, you know, you know, blow it out. Fantastic. It should be great. Yeah. Patrick Jordan, I thank you for um, and I want I want to say well, but but I, it is if you know Jimmy, it's 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 not it's not a down note that we're that we're ending the show talking about. Yeah, no, Jim, no, Jim, no. Jimmy's like, a, Jimmy's it's, it's, a, it's, this weird, it's this weird thing. It's yeah, just, uh, he's um. It's I'm not trying to end it on a down note. I mean, oh no, was, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I mean, he's 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 one of the best men you could have ever possibly yeah. met, and you know, if he 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 made he made you better just by being with him. Absolutely. If he, if he, and if he did not like you, you were a real asshole. I mean, you must've been an asshole because he liked everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. You must've right. been a real jerk <laughs> if Jimmy yeah. didn't like you. Um, but yeah, Jimmy's a hell of a man, but yeah, that's great. Is. But well, thank you for doing this. And, um, thank you, Patrick yeah, Jordan. Um, thank you very much. Come and see the legend of George, come see the legend of George McBride. I think, um, we're probably going to have to extend cause I think there's only one day with tickets available. And that's the tenth right now. So get your tickets, get it going. And as soon as that information is available, we'll make sure we get that out to the masses as well. Um, Patrick Jordan, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. All right, anytime, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And um, that was wow. Uh, so sorry for taking that down a bit of a personal note, but uh, um, for those that know Jimmy, um, it was um, it's a huge it's a huge loss to the community and. Um, Hopefully we can get enough people rallied to um, uh, make sure that his, as Pat, as you heard Patrick say, um, 10,000 um, 10, toys is what Jimmy gave out last Christmas. And it grew every year. His list 
um, his list grew every year and, um, Jimmy didn't have Jimmy, uh, you know, screw Santa. Jimmy didn't have a naughty or nice list. Um, Jim, Jimmy didn't, Jimmy didn't see that in kids. Jimmy, Jimmy saw the best in kids. Um, and I am looking for that announcement. I got right here. The, uh, Bethany's, uh, messaging from up the street wants to remind everybody of the raise a glass event coming up on March 23rd. Uh, celebrate, uh, celebrating your drinks issue for Pittsburgh Current. Uh, go to the website, sign up. They'll be, you guys will be crawling uh, in Lawrenceville on uh, March 23rd in support of that drinks issue. Absolutely. We've got some good content planned for you for that issue. Um, check out this Tuesday. We'll be out with the new issue. Um, lots of arts and entertainment coverage. We're probably going to have a little something on the Pittsburgh Pirates um, so look forward to that. And also, um, again, I think, uh, I think we made this announcement last time we just hired, um, uh, we have, in my opinion, three of the, three of the best columnists, um, in the city, uh, Ariana Berenger, Sue Kerr, and now, um, Jessica Semler. Um, so be sure to check out their stuff in the Pittsburgh Current this week and online. And this has been the Pittsburgh Current podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us and we'll see you next week. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.